Hello and welcome to the next episode in our Premier Fitness Podcast series, in which I speak to a variety of professionals with the purpose of providing insight, inspiration, motivation and factual accounts of what it's like to work in our wonderful sector. I feel privileged to bring this episode to you as the subject matter is mental health and well-being and to discuss this in further detail I'm joined by two very successful businesswomen who are as passionate as I am about raising the awareness of this topic. So firstly we have Katie Lewis who is the director of Brand Chatter which is a phenomenal PR company and she's also the co-founder of Workplace Mental Wealth and secondly Tara Dillon who not only delivers a cracking after-dinner speech, is also the CEO of the Chartered Institute for the Management of Sport and Physical Activity, or SIMSPA for short, who since 2015 has been spearheading a monumental change for the better in terms of driving the standards of service delivery to new heights in the physical activity sector. Ladies, welcome and thank you for coming on with me. Oh, thanks for the invite, Susie. Thanks, Susie. Thanks for that cracking opening. Don't tell everybody about the after-dinner speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've listened to quite a few of them and they're all very, very good. And they certainly uh, lighten the evening up. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so we are here to discuss uh, mental health and wellbeing, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, Katie, if I can start with you, please. Um, so the last time we spoke, um, you had issued the State of Mind survey to explore the mental wellbeing of people working in the sector. So now that the results are in, um, what have you guys learnt? Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks, Susie. Yeah, uh, we the survey I think finished in about mid February, and we were really delighted with the response that we had. Uh, we pushed it out mostly through social media, through my channels, Lindsay's channels, and partner channels. Simspa really pushed it hard for us. Simspa's been involved with this from the start, even before the survey was conceived. I was I was chatting to Tara, and we both shared a passion for you know driving this this forwards for the sector. So yeah, Simspa's been a really valued partner right the way through this. Um, we had a great response. We had 1,140 individual responses and we had responses from 81 employers. And it was quite important, I think, to get both those sides of the story. So we wanted to know what kind of procedures and uh, sort of were in place from an employer perspective. But we also wanted to make sure or to explore whether those procedures were trickling down and were affecting, positively affecting um, those that they were supposed to be reaching. So employees within the sector. So uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. But we came up with some sort of interesting findings by comparing the two of those. And we also had a really good cross sector from across the sector because I think we also forget that not everybody in our sector is employed. Obviously, you know, a high percentage, and Tara would know the percentage, but a high percentage of the um, sector is self-employed. And certainly our survey showed that we had 50% response from self-employed people. And we didn't ask exactly what that job role was, but the expectation is that the majority of those people were exercise to music instructors and personal trainers. Um, and also it was nice to do a piece of work that didn't just follow the sort of traditional dynamics of the sector. In, in most cases, it's, it's kind of the operators that are left with the accountability and the suppliers are left paying for in a lot of cases and supporting the operators to achieve targets. But of course, with mental health, if you are an employer, it doesn't matter whether you're an operator, a supplier, a training provider, you know, a, a, a governing body, it doesn't matter who you are, you're still an employer and you've still got to equal responsibility to um, fulfill 
the needs of your employees in in this area. So it's kind of nice to do a piece of work that does really unite the sector under a common need. I mean, the reason we did it was to give some insights. That was that was the main reason. And obviously, when the survey went out, we were right in the middle of a pandemic. And some might look at that and say, well, that's a very strange time to do this because how, you know, the stats will probably be skewed because of the pandemic. And yet we, we get that. But I think with a piece of work like this, there's never a good time to do it. And it just so happened that we were in the middle of a pandemic. So that, that's just the way that it was. And I think also it has given us some insights about the pandemic. So I think sort of looking at some of the top lines, I think the standout stat for me was when we asked who has experienced a mental health issue in the last 12 months, 53% of those people we asked said they had in the last 12 months and 69% said that they had experienced a mental health issue at some point. So while we could say, yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic and you would expect that figure to be high, it's also indicative of the fact that actually it's not just the pandemic that is driving these issues. People were experiencing mental health issues before the pandemic. And although those stats might feel high, I think it's important to contextualize them as well. Um, I think if we asked everybody if they had experienced a physical health issue in the last 12 months, you know, we'd probably expect that stat to be about the same, if not higher, because who hasn't experienced some kind of, you know, physical issue, issue in the last 12 months? And certainly ever, if you ask people if you ever experienced a physical issue, they, a physical health issue, I'd expect that figure to be higher than 69. So although they sound, you know, shocking, half the respondents said they had experienced a mental health issue in the last 12 months, we have to contextualise that, I think. And I think it's also important to point out that everybody's experience of the pandemic has been different and I think that's important to remember as we start looking to the return to work um, and, and even when we say the return to work I think you know we have to be careful using that term as well that's not really correct because some people have actually worked right the way through this pandemic so actually when we talk about a return we should be talk talking about a return to the workplace as opposed to a return to work um, but what we found was when we asked how whether people um, felt they had been affected by the or how they felt the pandemic had affected them five percent felt that their mental health had actually improved during the pandemic 37 percent said that they felt the pandemic had had little effect on their health and 58 percent felt that the pandemic had had a negative impact on their mental health so while obviously 58 percent having a negative effect isn't great but i think we also have to remember that the pandemic hasn't been terrible for everybody and there's that famous, well, famous now, Damien Barr um, quote, which I haven't got in front of me now, but it talks about we've all been in the same storm, but we've all been in very different boats. You know, some of us have been in canoes while others have been in, in, in yachts. And I think that does resonate. And I think when we're talking to people as we come out of this, we have to not we have to be sort of cautious of not assuming that everybody's had the same experience as us. Yeah. Um, some people have had better experiences, some, some worse, but they've certainly probably not been the same as us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, we also found that there was a little bit of disparity between what employers felt they were delivering and what was trickling down to the workforce. So we asked employers several questions about what uh, mental health wellness packages they had in place. Uh, questions like, do you, do you um, offer uh, mental health first aid training? Uh, to your employees and at what level is that offered, that that kind of thing. And what we found is um, that 55% um, of employers said that they have some process of checking 
on the mental health of their employees and that they have 40 percent said they have some sort of um, wellness program that includes looking after the mental health of their employees but when we ask the employees how how often whether they are whether their employers regularly check in with them only 19 percent said that they did so there is a bit of a disparity there employers but those employers that believe they are offering well-being programs aren't necessarily reaching all of the workforce and i think that is a particular challenge in our workforce as well because we don't have the luxury of just everybody turning up to an office at nine in the morning and going at six at night and we can all you know call nice lunchtime meetings and discuss issues and put on uh mindfulness sessions etc in the lunch break because that's just not the way our sector works you know we're we're governed by shift patterns. We've got, uh, you know, as I said earlier, a high percentage of the work workforce are actually self-employed. We've got a lot of part-timers. So it's not as easy as getting everybody together and discussing these things. But it, it, it so we accept that there is a challenge there, but it is a challenge that we're going to have to overcome. You know, we managed to keep people in our workforce physically safe. So we need to find a way to make that work and make, make sure they're psychologically safe as well. Um, the other thing that we found as well is stigma is still unfortunately alive and well. Um, stigma around mental health. And when we asked employees whether they would be honest, if they felt they had a mental health issue that was preventing them from coming to work, would they be honest about that with their employer or their line manager? And 42% said that they wouldn't. 29% of those said that they worried that to admit to a mental health issue might affect their career. 24% said they felt that it would be difficult to talk about a mental health issue with their line manager and 18% said they'd be worried about the perception um, of others towards them. So there's definitely a piece of work that has to be done there. You know, we might feel that we're open and honest about these conversations around mental health, but actually the survey showing that a lot of people still don't feel comfortable talking about it in the way that perhaps they would talk about physical health. And Katie, can I just ask, when with, with that survey, were the were the um, sort of roles split out, or was it a general a general survey? So what I'm getting at there is, is did you have like you know CEOs answering those questions? You know, did you have people that were frontline staff answering? Was that kind of split out at all? Yes, yes, right. yeah. We had really good representation yeah. across the whole sector at all levels of the workforce, from boardroom down to. Well, I say down to, but through to apprentices. So yeah, we had really good representation across the board. And the survey goes into more detail, a little bit more detail about those different levels as well. Um, yeah. And there's, there's obviously a, a, quite a lot of data left in the, you know, a lot, a lot of um, information left in the raw data as well. We pulled out the strands that we felt were most relevant, but there's still a hell of a lot of data in, in that raw data. So if people wanted to delve deeper, you know, they, they wanted to look at certain areas, it might be that we've got that information that's not come out in the report. So it'd be worth talking to us about that just to see if there is anything locked inside that somebody might specifically want to pull out, because we can obviously segregate it by um, not so much job job titles, but we did um, self-employed, employed, part-time, full-time, male, female. So we did, did, did quite a lot of filtration um, or segmentation that can be can be filtered. Interesting. My, um, I was just, you know, wondering whether or not, um, and, and Tara may be able to put a bit of a spin on this in terms of an answer, just in terms of, you know, mental health and mental health um, awareness um, is really important for everybody. And, you know, I just wonder, 
you know what what it affects everybody and even if you you know if you're in charge if you're running an organization um there's a huge amount of pressure there and, and you know i just wondered whether or not this would have shown um even people that are in you know positions with extreme authority and responsibility you know how how that might have affected them through the pandemic yeah, I mean, we did ask, I'm just looking at these pages now, we had some um, sort of organisational approaches. Um, we did ask people how they felt about their health and we did find that the older people were and the further up the tree they were in terms of their job role, generally they ranked their health, their physical health, social health and mental health better than yeah. those who, who weren't. So so if, if people were in a position of influence and power, they generally scored quite high so the averages that people were scoring out of 100 averagely people scored their physical health as 73 out of 100 their social health 65 out of 100 and their mental health 63 out of 100 but that's one of the areas where we did see quite big disparity between um job roles um and that's mm. a, an area that we could go deeper into but generally we found that those people that were aged 45 and over um and in areas of where they had influence and power they were rating their health in all three areas as higher. And we don't know whether that is a good state of health or a, a poor state of health because we don't have a benchmark to, to mark that against. But we can look at that in relation to how the various job roles responded. And, and that is what we, what we found. Interesting. Mm. Um, and with regards to what you're saying, it just it, I think you're absolutely right in terms of I don't think we should be uh, in a position where we are thinking that everybody has been treated the same. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know from our perspective, um, you know, we've been very well looked after, you know, uh, twice a day, we're able to book in for what we call like drop-in sessions to the kitchen to discuss anything. Uh, and that was really, really useful. Um, but, you know, I've certainly got friends um, inside the sector and outside the sector that, you know, haven't been given um, any support at all. So it's really important that we don't sort of, you know, uh, treat everybody the same and think that they've all had the same experience. Yeah, and I think that's especially true when we look at those stats that, you know, if you are a line manager or you sit on a board, your experience may well have been better than, yeah. than those who aren't in that position of privilege in a way. Yeah. So it's it's it will be a mistake to assume that everybody's had the same experience of you uh, as you and to uh, sort of change your behavior according to your own point of reference. Yes, definitely, definitely. So um, just kind of moving on then. Um, so great that we now have um, some insight, but what do you feel are the next steps? How, how are we gonna kind of use this info to, to, to make things better and to make some improvements? Yeah, and I think Lindsay and I were really conscious of that. When we did this piece of work, what we didn't want to do is to put a piece of work out there and then say, there you go, there's your insight, off you go. We felt that there needed to be some sort of line of travel. Um, and some we, we needed to help the industry have some sort of direction where to go with it. Um, so, so leading on straight away from this, we've launched the Good Work Pledge. And when, obviously, Lindsay and I have done loads of reading around this. And in most cases... Uh, well, go back a step. So it's incorrect, obviously, to assume that mental health can only, is something that can only be treated. You know, mental health is something that we, we all have. We all have mental health. It's with us for life, just like physical health. And just like physical health, it can be protected and enhanced 
as well as treated. So for example, if you're in a good state of physical health, you probably still go to the gym. You don't just stop doing anything that is healthy um, for your physical health just because you're in a good state of physical health. And it's the same with mental health. And I think when we're building um, wellbeing policies, we're not just focused on how we support people that have got an issue. We've got to get to a point where we're actually it's more of a preventative strategy than a cure strategy. So we've got to try and stop people getting to that point of crisis or distress in the first place. Um, and I think, you know, that's that, that isn't that isn't left field for us. We're already doing that in the field of physical health and safety. So, for example, if Bob's climbing up a ladder and he trips, um, we don't say to him, oh, well, Bob, that, you know, that's a shame. We'll send you off to the doctor now and, and, and you know, you'll, you'll be OK. You'll get the medical help you need. That's fine. What we've done, what we would generally do before that is we put we'd risk assess it. We put in, you know, we, we mitigate the risks. We make sure that he's had his um, climbing a ladder safety training. We make sure that there was someone else holding the ladder. So we put all those procedures in place to make sure that doesn't happen. And we need to make sure it's the same with mental well-being as well and psychological safety. So we've come we've launched what we've called the good work pledge and we've called it the good work pledge because looking after people's mental health isn't it, i think it's something that sometimes people are a bit scared of it's an area of work that people are a little bit nervous of because perhaps they feel they don't have the expertise um to be able to deal with it so we want to be able to almost demystify it and make it bring it back to very practical terms and I think looking after employee mental health in most cases just comes down to the implementation of good work practices. So it's making someone feel safe, someone feel secure, valued um, in their workplace. So it's, you know, it's not rocket science at the end of the day. And we wanted to be able to introduce a pledge that doesn't say to people, I'm absolutely by June next year, I'm going to get to this point. We wanted to introduce a pledge that allows people to, first of all, to commit to shining a light on the mental well-being of their workforce and to actively work towards making improvements in that area. So it doesn't matter where you are on this journey as an organisation. It also doesn't matter what size of organisation you are. You can sign the Good Work Pledge and the materials that we're providing should have some value to you. So when you sign the pledge, you're basically committing to saying, yeah, we're behind this. We we recognize that mental health is important to our talented workforce, and we're committed to putting procedures in place that will support our, our individual workers in this area, all levels of our business. When you sign that pledge, or in the process of signing that pledge, you get access to a logo which you can use internally and externally to communicate the fact that you are um, supporting uh, the good work pledge and that could be great for you know talent acquisition and retention I would assume you know mm. people like to know especially the younger generations they're very hot on you know their their well-being how their employer is going to look after them you know what sort of package will be in place for to support them um, and you also get access to a mental health planning guide and a diagnostic tool. So the idea is you would use the diagnostic tool to work out whereabouts you are on this journey now. The Good Work Pledge is based on six core mental health standards. And these standards aren't standards 
that Lindsay and I have collated. They're standards that have been outlined in the Thriving to Work, uh, Thriving at Work report 2017 that was backed by the government. And the the main reason that these have been selected as the core standards are that it's it, it's believed by those that put together the report. One of them was was Farmer, the guy that's CEO of, of the fantastic charity Mind. Um, the reason these were identified as the core standards is because it, they believe that to achieve them is within the gift of, of pretty much every organisation. Um, and when you look at them, they're they're really they're they're really simple to sort of understand and achieve. So you would go th run through the diagnostic tool to work out where you are on your journey now. So what's your starting point, and what are the areas that maybe you need to do some work in to improve? And then you would go to the planning guide to work out how you're going to get on this road to implementing some changes. So the pledge is a hundred pounds. Um, to sign and we went all around the houses you know should it be free should we try and get some funding should it be sponsored and actually we felt in the end that the main thing was it had to be accessible so if there was going to be a fee attached to it it needed to be a, a nominal fee that pretty much any organization in the sector could afford if they were serious in this area um, we thought about getting it funded or sponsored but then the problem is if you can't continue to get that funding for whatever reason or that sponsorship then you know the pledge dies and we want this to be something that is a living breathing developing thing that goes on and on and on and we don't want to be hampered by not having funds to deliver it and we also felt that just asking for a small fee makes that employer a little bit more in their own mind accountable accountable for, yeah yeah for, for, for actually delivering against the pledge. It's not just a badge to say, I'm in the gang. You, it's great if you want to be in the gang, but you do have a responsibility to fulfill certain criteria if you join the gang. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's absolutely important. And it's a vital thing to have. And, and the timing is just perfect. We're keen to work with you guys on that, as as you know. And, and I think, as you say, that £100, it is just about making or trying to make employees feel a little bit more accountable because not everybody will kind of see things from the same point of view, will they? Um, yeah. You know, it, um, interestingly, I um I pulled some stats off this morning because uh, I think back back in back in April last year, we um we sat down as a management team and thought, right, you know, what can we do? What 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 support can we offer? Um, and we decided to um push out our mental toughness course for free you know just mm -hmm. to just to try and offer some support and I was amazed when I pulled this down with 3,300 people um took the course um it's a high level overview it's you know it's designed to give you awareness which as mm -hmm. you said sometimes people just aren't quite sure um whether to go and speak to somebody if they're looking you know not quite right today so um yeah there's definitely a need for mm -hmm things to be spoken about and for us to kind of lose any stigma that still exists around mental health and well-being because you know as as we've already said um everyone has uh you know the right to to you know to be listened to and and to discuss and to feel they are in a safe environment which is really important mm -hmm. I mean, we also we also launched a, a podcast as well. So we've done several interviews with people, and uh, the idea is that we share lived experiences of those working in our sector that have, have experienced mental health issues. And the first one was with a guy called Jason, um, and we've got another few that are in the pipeline to come out in the next over the next few weeks. But in every case of those that we've talked to, both those that have made it onto the podcast and those interviews that we've done that perhaps 
you know, didn't, didn't make it to the final podcast, but of all the conversations we've had without fail, every one of the people that we've interviewed and spoken to have said that if they had, if somebody had stopped them early on and really asked them, you know, not just said, how are you, mate, but actually really dug a little bit deeper yeah. and persevered a bit and asked them early on in the process they all said without doubt that they would they felt felt they wouldn't have got to the level of distress that they got to and and Jason our first podcast he actually got to the point where he was having to he was he put um he put all his affairs in order and he'd sat down to literally take his life and it was a call to the Samaritans that saved him and he was saying if at some point he said people did ask him he said people could see his de decline though he was putting on weight he was drinking too much people could see that and but he had a rugby culture and so if people asked him it was generally at the bar they're all right mate how are you doing and he'd say yeah yeah i'm all right i'm you know, a little bit down oh, don't worry mate i'll buy you a pint and of course <laughs> that was not what he needed you know another no. thing, not what he needed at that point but he said if someone had seriously sat him down he would have he would have felt he would have opened up but nobody really did nobody did on that journey um and it's so important that we're able just to talk freely about it without fear without fearing that you know we might lose our job or that people yeah. are going to think negatively about us and I, I think, think that's just such a big part of it yeah no definitely and it's not a sign of weakness either that would be no. so it's not a sign of weakness um so Tara if I could bring you in um please um I would love to know how Simspa um, is driving forwards on the on the workforce mental health agenda. Cool. Where do I start, Susan? Isn't it fascinating? Listen to Katie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A deep dive into our sector. Um, it, it is. It is. I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a couple of observations as well, if I can, Susie. So, um, this thing about stigma. I mean, the whole the whole movement on mental health. Um, is about starting the conversation, right? Mm, yeah. So even the stigma statistics in that survey, they're a little bit disappointing. You know, forty-two percent that felt they couldn't tell the line manager. They were they were worried about what might happen. That started a conversation, hasn't it? That's telling mm. management that you actually have to do a bit more to enable people to be feel able to speak up so it's not a negative thing it's telling us what we need to know so we can act on it and I'll, and I'll come on to that in a minute um but I think you know a uh, sort of a bit of a watch out is that you have to do just a bit more than having a policy yeah, you, you you can have a sign up, or you can you can you can honestly the workforce pledge is brilliant, but don't just have the badge match and then don't do anything with it. I mean, yeah. you know, it's what mechanisms do you put in place that create a culture, a positive culture that encourages people to speak up and speak out. Just from my own experience, Susie, I think you know if I go back twenty years ago and I was operating sites and. As Katie said, you know, I mean, I remember running a contract in in South London. I had two and a half thousand people working for me. I, 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 you know, I knew most of them, but I couldn't tell you uh, how everybody was doing. How could I possibly do that? So that that means you must have culture. You, you, you ha it has to be disseminated. It has to be in the DNA of the organisation so that everybody has reach. Uh, and everybody has the ability to go somewhere um, 
But equally, it's really understood and it's trusted. If I speak out, it's trusted. And also, if I go back 20 years, Susie, I remember my reaction then to mental health. And it's really moved. I remember when, you know, somebody came up to me and said, oh, you know, Susie's really suffering with mental health. Do you know what my initial reaction was as a manager? Was, is that our fault? Yeah. Is, it, is it stress? Have we created that? Yeah. So I, I often felt quite defensive, you know, worried about you. But equal, have I done that? What, what have I got? We got this wrong. Yeah. Um, oh no, Susie's going to go off sick because I put her under too much pressure. Why have we put her under too much pressure? And 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 then of course the journey we've all been on with mental health is it can be anything. Mm. We we did go to that sort of default position, which was slightly defensive, which may then have caused a bit of a stigma. So I can I can totally appreciate how it got there, but we have to work very hard at making sure it doesn't exist. I'll tell you what um, really helps us in Simsbury. I mean, we, like you guys at Premier, you know, most of the operators that I talk to, to be honest, we, we've done the same. You know, there are, there's a policy, but the policy has practical elements to it. You know, we have a, we've got a little team we call it, that they, they've called themselves the Wellbox, and it, it, there's no management in there. It's It's peers who create mechanisms and, talking um, sessions and physical activity and social stuff that's, that lends itself to conversations, it lends itself to support. You know, we've got a very strong culture of you fall and I'll catch you within Simpsonville, but it's those pragmatic steps that aren't necessarily led by management, then create this sort of more open, honest and, and, and trusted environment and it doesn't take much to do it, but it is different to just having a policy on the wall or, you know, having a, um, a logo that says I'm committed mm. and I've ticked a box. So, but I do see in our sector, you know, we are, we're an ace sector. We, we you know, we're very sociable. We, we, I, like you, Susie, I've seen other organisations, uh, my friends of mine who work for, out of the sector, and they're getting nowhere near the level of support I see. Yeah. In our sector, and I'll tell you some real horror stories, but it's 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 also the training. You go back to you know culture and, and Jason's story. Uh, we we put all of our team through mental health first aid training and mental health awareness training through. Um, and I highly recommend Adlib training, by the way. We run a um, mental health first aid. It's an active IQ course, and and in particular, it's led by. Um, a great friend of ours, Robin Gargrave. And the way that he delivered that course, the way, it, was the, it was the tips and advice on how to have a slightly different conversation. So you're not digging and you're not probing, you're not making your colleagues feel uncomfortable, but you're asking the right questions in the right way that enables them to open up a bit more, as opposed to, you're right, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Well, I'm a bit down, that's all, I'll get your point. It, it, you know that the the tools that that awareness training gave us was fantastic, and I couldn't re recommend it enough. You know, and it's not massively expensive, and it's completely accessible. In the course itself, you know, there there is a session where we talk about our own mental health challenges. If you want to, and it was a real eye opener for me. You know, twenty five percent of my team have suffered or do suffer with mental health challenges. Um, and predominantly, nothing to do with work. Mm -hmm. 
and for some, work is their um, sort of vent, you know, it's their place of safety, but for others, it, it, you know, it's too much. So it's just understanding that sort of breadth and, and not trying to look at it through a sort of single focus like we used to. But, I, you know, I, I say that historically because I do, I do believe we've moved on. The other thing I find that interesting, and I'm not doubting the data at all, Katie, but this senior manager thing, you know, CEOs and board people don't mm. tend to. I, I can only speak from my experience. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm not convinced by it, um, but I do wonder. I do wonder because in my my own experience last year, you know, I went Simsbury, and and you know, none of us have had a day off. Uh, nobody was put into furlough. Um, so there's upsides and downsides to that, and Simpsons here for the workforce. So you can imagine we scrambled very quickly, almost restructured temporarily, to make sure that everything we did focused on people and supporting people and their jobs. Twenty percent, Katie, by the way, self yeah. in our sector, to make sure that there were mechanisms and supports available to them. So we all had to change and scramble. We all had to do things very differently. Um, you know, and then I'm sort of working with Sporting and Youth Active and government to try and second guess what was coming down the road so we could get information to people early. And I've got to tell you, that first two months, I mean, it hit us like a tidal wave. The government really didn't know what to expect and what was doing. We're all talking, you know, it will all be, will all be over by June. Mm. So in order to handle that, we kind of built up a resilience. Well, it's only temporary. Mm. So I'll hack it. Do, do you know what I mean by that? You, you know, I think it's true of everybody, but that was my own experience. Oh, well, if it's only here for a few, few months and I've got to work at this rate. Uh, I remember talking to Hugh at UK Active and Tim at Sporting, and, and we reckon we worked eight weeks without a day off, mm. and every day was long, mm. you know. 15 hour days mm. and it wasn't sustainable and that but we felt well it will be over in a minute so it would be okay and then the thing to watch is you're exhausted so let's say the, 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 the virus did come and go at that point it's that adrenaline that keeps you through that sort of coping and, and, and that level because you kind mm. of to really um, and there may be a tendency, certainly times I thought it, where I thought, well, I'm just going to have to get a grip here. I didn't, you know, no days I really didn't want to because, well, you know, the, the, the boss can't suffer. You know, so in, in some ways, I may have answered that survey slightly differently. Yeah, I've been having a conversation. I think I was quite honest, actually. But... Um, yeah, I did cope. Yeah. That doesn't mean to say I didn't have mental health challenges. I know I did. Mm. I was distracted. I didn't know that, you know, having to, hang on a minute, this is not going anywhere. Hang on a second. This sector's in trouble. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do to make it, you know, and every single sort of month or quarter presented a new set of challenges that seemed steeper than the last set of challenges. Because once mm. it got formed, um, so... Yeah, it, it's there's also a, a recognition of what it is, mental health, good or bad. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it doesn't have to be stress and it doesn't have to be illness or sadness. It's just a sort of general sense of I'm not myself. I'm not coping. Yeah. Or how am I coping? And why am I, you know, weekends I was absolutely done in mm. and not wanting to do anything, which had a detrimental effect on me too, because I wasn't getting up and out and doing stuff. My physical health was suffering or as well as my mental health. And, you know, if you asked me at the time, did I feel I was challenged with mental health issues? I would have said no. Mm. But with hindsight, I think, well, that was pretty tough. Mm. I mean, when, on the survey, when we asked people, had they suffered or had they experienced a mental health issue in the last 12 months? 8% said they weren't sure. And I think that's really valid what you've just yeah. said there. You know, at what point do we say it is a mental health issue? Um, yeah. It just brings it home to the the importance of just being able to talk openly. You don't have yeah. to be in crisis to be able to mention to somebody, actually, I'm, I'm not doing so well today. Um, and to be able to go to your line manager and say, you know, it would really help me if I could leave. I've got stuff yeah. at home. If I could just leave an hour earlier today, it'd really, just to be able to say that without feeling there's going to yeah. be any repercussions or you've got to feign a different kind. You've got to say you've got a headache in, instead because you feel that's more socially yeah. acceptable. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom either, though. On our survey, we also found that 78% of people said that they, when they were asked the direct question, said that they did feel they had a line manager who cared about their mental well-being. So they, yeah. they may have later on said they weren't necessarily officially being asked how they were. The good news is that in our sector, generally speaking, people did feel that their line manager cared about them. I think that's, yeah. you know, that's a brilliant stat. 78% of people said that they, they felt their line manager cared about them. I think that's okay. a great stat. Yeah, I think, you're, um, Tara, just to say, I just think I really appreciate you being so um, open and honest Um about how you know you found the last 12 months and tomorrow so it's one of the reasons why I asked the question right at the beginning is you know all year I've been thinking you know I've been very lucky there's been loads of focus kind of from the top down on are we all okay um what can we do for you um but you know I've been thinking all year um not just for our organization but for you know all organizations who's 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 looking after the people that everyone's turning to for guidance um what's happening with them you know because there is I imagine a certain kind of well gosh everyone's looking to me for guidance I I, I have to be seen to be strong to be through this and you know mm -hmm. I would have said absolutely um that would have effect on you know one's mental health and I also think you're absolutely right in terms of the culture um mm -hmm. the culture is is everything now I know a few of the guys that work for you so I know what you say is is kind of what you do and and you know the guys have sort of that said that the culture that you drive is very much like that you know it's it's everybody is allowed to speak their mind doesn't feel that they are going to be um thought less off if they admit that they are not feeling themselves um so that's really good and I think that you know if one thing that we get out of this it is about how do we create that culture how can we help organizations to get that right um because it's not easy you can't do it overnight um if you're not in the right place to begin with um i do think it needs to come from the top down but i don't think that it needs to be all about management i just think that it needs to be kind of the good old-fashioned leading by example i think really really helps yeah, I agree, Susie, and 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 I and I work I work that out. It seems for myself as well. Hang on a second. If I'm working all hours, 
and I'm getting tired and then I see my team doing it, I'm not really setting the example I should be setting. And so we sort of, you know, I remember us having a big team meeting and saying, uh, full disclosure, gang, I'm knackered. Uh, yeah. I'm really sick of teams. And uh, I've noticed that even though my commute's obviously gone, I'm, I'm not actually buying any time back. I'm filling it. And we and I said, how do we get overcome this? And we all decided, you know, 12 to 1, we're just going to block it out. 12 to 2, no meetings, respect each other's time. Yeah. Um, and they think, you know, for me to say to my lot, 4 o'clock Friday, I'm packing in now. Anyone else? And given yeah. that, well, she can do it, then I can do it. Rather than, oh, my yeah. goodness, it's, it's a weird we've got to help people and therefore we've got to work till silly o'clock i'll tell you something they won't mind me saying this just going back to the senior thing i wouldn't bleat on about senior people too much but i'm sure they won't mind me saying this i remember at that period when we were all a bit um worn out i sent a text to a handful of ceos who were all sort of in the thick of it at the time and i just said you know take some time to rest this weekend and recover we go again next week mm. now the reaction to that was uh that means a lot thank you so yes which told you that everybody was thinking because you make a good point who asks who asks them mm. and it was we supported each other there and it you know it was well received and and um, you know people were pretty open about how they felt so but just going back to that culture piece um and you know what we're doing now we're interested we're really interested to hear about what Katie and Lindsay find um, in these gaps where people are filling out these pledges because where there's a gap and people say, I need a bit more support here or a mechanism here or advice, we will just work with the amazing partners we've got around us because we're not experts in mental health, but plenty of them are. Minders, for example, is one of our biggest supporting partners. And say, okay, we've identified this gap. How can you help? I mean, if you just go on our we've already started populating a page on its own you you, you two are familiar with stronger together but for mm -hmm. those um, who listen to the podcast it seems to have a stronger together page from pretty much day one of the pandemic and it's got information on support for you support for your business um guidance uh, you know tr translating government gobbledygook into plain english for example this is what the you know, ease of restrictions mean. I mean, um, the, the page dedicated to you is all about your own mental and physical health. And there's already brilliant resources on there. So mind obviously are awesome. There's um, it's like a five question questionnaire just about you. And it will just give you advice and tips to, to improve your mental health, how you feel and um, what you can do about it. There's uh, there's a mental health at work toolkit, which is about you and your colleagues. There's one about COVID and your well-being. There's mental health first aid. England have produced a working from home um, toolkit. Glide have come up with a remote working sort of practical advice for employers. Um, the City Mental Health Alliance have got you know understanding supporting colleagues. You know going back to how we communicate. Uh, and ask people how they're doing and there's wellness action plans in there there's a coronavirus resource hub there's um another organization called mates in mind i don't know if you've come across them brilliant organization same thing remote remote working checklist is home, home working mental health tips for us you know because that's been quite a um a shift hasn't it uh financial wellness you know people really worried about their finances there's a whole page de dedicated to 
financial wellbeing as a community hub there's a weekly webinar i mean the, the resources on there are brilliant and, and we'll continually update it and and the intel um that we get from casey and lindsay from um these anonymized um the sort of an analysis of what we're finding that will help us target better support mm. um, so yeah there's there's a lot to come susan it won't stop um you know we we're really proud to support this it was easy as soon as katie started talking about it, it said absolutely it's such a big deal yeah um, it's amazing absolutely amazing yeah. um really really just sort of uh you know it's just great to hear um the positivity and the support that you've had um really katie so what's next for workplace mental wealth yeah so i think short term the the immediate sort of action really is to really promote the pledge and also the survey because while we've had decent downloads I think about 200 have downloaded it from the website and then obviously once it's downloaded people can be sharing it via the pdf but there's still a hell of a lot of people out there I mean it, it feels to me and Lindsay like we're doing these podcasts every week and we're you know LinkedIn and blah 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 but there's still a load of people out there that don't know about this research and don't know about the pledge and don't you know aren't involved in this conversation at all despite the works of me and Lindsay and Simsfer and you know UK Active have helped us to spread the word as well so there's still work to be done to raise awareness of this data so that people can hopefully start to formulate their own internal plans around it and and, and start to move forwards um i think the pledge as well i mean there's lindsay and i would like that pledge to really evolve we'd like that to become really something that the industry is proud of um and we can use it as you know to help help us attract talent to stand us out in a crowd to say you know we are a sector that cares we're all signed up to this this pledge um yeah. we don't know of too many other sectors that have got an, there are some out there but we don't know of too many that have got you know a sector specific commitment to this um and, and we'll put the we'll put as much work as is needed but we need the sector to come with us so we need to know that people are with us verbally people have been so supportive and organizations like simspa have been you know just just brilliant um but really it's with the the employers now the the employers need to come with us on this and we will support them and like simspa says we will work with simspa and completely support simspa in their you know the quest to provide the information but we all need to know that employers are, are with us and the pledge is one way that they can do that um, we're also trying to bring the survey to life a bit a little bit as well and take it from just being stats on a page to bring in some of these experiences to life through our podcast and i think more and more lived experience is being used as a means of um uh, influencing policies and procedures and understanding and I think it certainly in the field of mental health and understanding mental ill health I think it's such a great learning tool um, to actually hear from people that have been through this firsthand mm, so we will continue to share people's stories through the podcast now that we've started that that path um, and we'd like the survey I mean the survey you know it's a it's a good little piece of insight for now um, but it's true value comes when we can start seeing trends over time you know this year 53% of people experienced a mental health issue next year what will that stat be you know conceivably we'll be out of the pandemic but you know a lot of people 
potentially still struggling you know what what will they influence on that stat be next year you know we, mm -hmm. we have no idea and you know in 10 years time how what will that graph look like so i think it's a piece of work we've started it and it's given us a benchmark but it's it's by no means finished this won't ever be finished will it this piece of work will never end no. uh, we've just got to keep going and we've got to keep using the insights sharing the insights talking about it as well and just keep it up high on the agenda because this the issue of mental ill health is is not it's not going anywhere um we've all got mental we've all got mental health and at some point in our lives we're all going to need support and we just need to get better at supporting each other it's you know there there are there you know there's a commercial reason to do it for employers um deloitte found out last year that for every one pound spent on mental well-being programs there's a five five pound return so you know commercially it's there 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 is, there is legislation that says you the employers have a duty of care to look after their employees mental as well as their physical well-being and also it's just you know compassion just because we care and we we should look after each other you know um so that's kind of our area of work and and not so much my expertise but Lindsay's area of expertise is Lindsay's been um working in the area of uh, sort of working with organizations inside and outside of the sector she works a lot in um transport um helping companies to um look at their culture really and make cultural changes for the better and so if companies we're, we're just formulating some packages at the moment but we hope to be able to help companies that are keen you know to do this in the right way to, to make absolutely. a real commitment to systemic change because obviously training is training is fantastic and it's absolutely needed and i've just qualified actually as a mental health first aid instructor level one to three so i'll be able to deliver training but you know i recognize that that is just one it's it, it's a very valuable tool but it's one tool in a big box of tools um and it needs to be incorporated as part of a much more um systematic approach um than just you know we don't want training just to become a tick box that people do it needs to be part of a systemic uh, change really cultural shift absolutely yeah so it's really just to, to keep pushing keep pushing in this area because because it's an important area um we've all got yeah, responsibility, and if i can do my little bit to help then that's what i'll do well i think you're doing i think you and lindsay are doing more than just a, li a little bit and <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to um take this opportunity to thank you both for the for the work that you've done um, it's 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 really phenomenal and to thank Tara I know you're very grateful to Simsper for the support that they yeah. have given um, absolutely agree with what Tara said it's not about just getting a, a, a policy in place um, you know we need to make sure that there are measures and checks uh, further down the chain because um, it can easily get lost in translation um, yeah. so yeah just thank you you Katie and to Lindsay it's great we'll, we'll keep talking we'll keep working with you um yeah. and tara thank you very much for your time and your support to the cause um really great to speak to you today i know you're super busy so thank you for taking the time out today it, it's really really appreciated yeah not too busy for this subject susie can we just have an ooh get you for katie qualifying um oh yeah should we do a, we do a, a, a number for let's do a a, a mexican wave okay i'm gonna start okay so i've just stood up tara you go um really stood up katie i knew you oh thanks guys katie just to finish how do we find out a little bit more about you and what you're up to yeah the best thing to do is go to the website so it's mental wealth hold on it's <laughs> got to get it right uh, workplacementalwealth.com perfect thank you very much indeed thank you for joining me today ladies take care have a wonderful weekend once it finally arrives Thanks. Thanks, Susie. Bye. Bye.